Hello everybody. So this is something uh, which I've been doing in France since we started this uh, lockdowns and COVID and things. We, instead of going to Bordeaux to uh, meditate with people once a month, we started to do Zoom once a week. What we do is really simple. For those very advanced meditators, may seem kind of like a baby stuff, but I really believe that these very basic things are absolutely important for everybody. And with the group we've been doing in France, there's people who've been practicing for a long time, uh, who nonetheless found it uh, quite useful for maintaining their practice. I've been trying to practice in the, with my Buddhist Dharma teachers for about 50 years. And more recently, I'm working on uh, translation projects from Tibetan. But in parallel to that, for many years, I've been doing simple meditation practice and training of the mind in love and compassion with uh, small groups of people. And those small groups actually got bigger because I've been involved in something called Imagine Clarity, uh, which is uh, an application on which you will also find Mathieu Ricard and Alan Wallace. And it sort of pretends not to be Buddhist, you know, it doesn't say uh, where it's going, but it's, in fact, I would say this sort of thing is quite different from the normal notion that we have today of mindfulness and feeling better. You know, in the Buddhist way of seeing things, the idea is liberation from the kind of suffering which is inevitably part of everybody's life because of our emotional reactions, because of the way we see things, because of our notion of ourselves and others. The whole way we see things is full of ignorance and in a sense there's no solution. Although all the mindfulness apps and mindfulness practices you see have uh, actually come from the original teachings of the Buddha, but very often it's just to make your comfort zone more comfortable. And I think we can even say that this kind of um, approach that we have maybe makes it initially less comfortable because you challenge your usual way of seeing things and it shakes things up a little bit. But we don't want to shake too hard or too violently, so we can just gently, gently uh, shake a little bit. And I'm particularly interested in uh, uh, what in uh, our tradition we call mind training. Of course, mind training, well, everything is mind training, isn't it? I mean, going to school is mind training. So, But this in the Tibetan tradition has a particular sense of training the mind uh, in love, compassion, and developing an altruistic mindset in a very down-to-earth, simple way, letting go of one's preoccupations with oneself and one's comfort zone and directing one's attention to others, others' needs, others' happiness and things like that. Of course, it may seem paradoxical, but when you do that, your own happiness inevitably increases. Uh, you feel more relaxed, you have a clearer vision of uh, your life and everything becomes much more coherent but this may not be apparent in the beginning. With Mathieu Ricard in the various uh, things we've been doing, we emphasize the notion of caring mindfulness, that mindfulness shouldn't just be an exercise to be better at things or to feel better, but should always be linked to this loving, altruistic mindset, developing that at the same time. I think I should say that Mathieu and I have known each other since the 1970s, early beginning of the 1970s, maybe 1969, 1970, I think. But, so, um, 
this uh, I, I really um, think this approach is very very important of course we would love to be kind compassionate people and maybe we even see ourselves as being like that but the difficulty in fact in practice is that to be kind and compassionate in a systematic way you have to have some kind of mental stability otherwise your emotions take over straight away you want to help and be nice then people uh, don't receive it as you'd imagine things don't go as you want it and then you feel frustrated you feel upset and then you give up and then you're angry and so in fact when we have this turbulent emotions turning around the whole time uh, we have no mental stability so it's very difficult to give a coherent direction to what we do so that's why the first thing that we do uh, uh, when we meditate is just to allow the mind to calm down now there's various ways of doing that i think if we try to force our mind to calm down we'll find that the mind will just get more and more tense so this is not are going to work it's very amusing if you try to make your thoughts go away you seem to have more and more tension and more and more thought if you try to make more thoughts come they don't want to come they get very shy and then it's quite uh, difficult to do that so it's very surprising sometimes how our mind works and I would like today for the first exercise I usually start like this we do nothing not even trying to meditate And now we're going to do nothing a little bit longer. And in this exercise, I call it feeling the texture of your mind. Just seeing what your mind is doing as you're trying to do nothing. Now, maybe some people, their mind is very, very still and calm and things like that. Maybe one has lots and lots of thoughts coming and feeling impatient or emotional or could be anything it doesn't matter the exercise is not to have an ideal state of mind that doesn't make any sense the idea is to just see what's going on when you stop and don't do anything in particular so this could be um, very boring which is a good thing that's not bad if it's boring actually and uh, it could be a little irritating could be pleasant doesn't matter just stay here we don't have to have a nice meditation posture or concentrate on it. just stay here doing nothing and we see what's going on in our mind because what's going on in our mind now when we're doing nothing is probably what's going on in our mind all the time but we don't notice so that's why it's important to just notice what is happening here normally we're turned outside to see what's happening out there but here we stop looking outside and just be aware of what's happening here and now
So now we've just been sitting actually only for five minutes and um, the mind has two basic states, one of being still and the other of moving movement, movement of thoughts. And I think most of us probably have had many, many thoughts in those five minutes. Maybe not everybody. And um, those thoughts, they come and go. You know, we often think we're very logical and that our decisions, our thoughts have a really um, organized direction. But actually, thoughts pop up and disappear the whole time. And there's a big element of disorder about that. It's true that we tend to have certain types of th thoughts and feelings and emotions because of our habits, perhaps to some extent because of our culture, because of what we've always done, our view of the world, and gives a kind of color to the sort of thoughts that we have. But what's interesting is that a thought can't stay anywhere. Each thought appears and disappears instantly. And it's the process of latching onto that thought that makes another thought and then another one and then another one, and then another one. And we may think of this as a sort of very, very organized and logical process. But I think as we become more aware of how things work for ourselves, and in fact, pretty much for others too, we can see that uh, there is an element of uh, working things out, logic and this and that, and. Uh, we can think we're being objective, but in fact, uh, since everything we see is colored by our habits, our vision of things, our culture and everything, it's maybe not really objective at all. It's, it's just uh, our own personal world popping up, being created every minute, every second popping up and disappearing and reappearing in a constant stream of all sorts of stuff. You know how it is when you dream? All sorts of strange things can happen in dreams. You know how? And you can change, you can be the protagonist and then you're watching the action happen or you can be in a place and then suddenly you're in another place. Now we, we may think, well, our waking experience isn't like that at all. Everything's very solid and concrete and in a sense dependable to some extent at any rate. However, our mental experience is pretty much like this dream thing because it just flips from one thing to another all the time. It constantly evolves. It can go in a steady logical stream and then suddenly something happens and we're off on a different subject or a different feeling or something like that. And it can vary according to whether we're tired or not, or what we've eaten or who we meet. And, uh, but we always tend to focus on the outside things. I don't know if you've had the experience of waking up in the morning in a bad mood. You know, you wake up feeling just horrible. And then something happens. You spill something on the, when you're making your breakfast or the, the cat does, does, makes a mess somewhere or somebody says something or you f remember something you should have done and you feel very angry. Then you think the anger is coming from that event or that thing. Whereas in fact, this tendency to be annoyed was waiting for a chance uh, for some kind of stimulus to really express itself. So uh, it's just to say that our world is really something that we're creating all the time. Of course, in the Buddhist way of thinking of things that we've been uh, 
uh, doing this for millions of lives and developing a stream of habits, a stream of situations which we call karma. But we can just look at this in the microcosm of our day-to-day -day experience and see how one thing leads to another and how our mindset affects the way we experience things. And, uh, and if it's completely out of control, if it's completely dominated by uh, aggression or greed or fear or some kind of very strong emotion like that, then it's a real roller coaster. It's like a, a vehicle with no steering wheel and no brake. So one could say that um, when we start to meditate, we just try to get everything to slow down a little bit. And when things have managed to calm down a bit, then we have the clarity to understand better what's going on. And when we just sit, for instance, we just sit in our body, doing nothing, breathing, feeling the sensations in our body and so forth. This very plain experience allows us to see what's going on in our mind. And that's so useful in a day-to-day -day basis because when we have that clarity, then we still have that when we're not meditating. And people often find that when they're meditating, they really think their meditation is really dreadful, that they're distracted and so on. And then they have some moment of clarity or insight or calm in a difficult situation when they're not meditating, just in their daily lives. And of course, this is a result of meditation, but it doesn't happen necessarily while you're meditating. So I would like to start this, having done this uh, very brief introduction, by giving a direction to what we're going to do. This is quite important, actually, in anything we do. But, uh, for instance, our teachers always say, when you're going to meditate or do any kind of what might be a positive activity, you can have a bad attitude, a good attitude, or a, a neutral uh, sort of attitude. So you might think, oh, I want to be a, a really great meditator, and then I'll, I'll be uh, smarter than the other guys. This is a negative attitude. You might think, I suppose I'm supposed to do this regularly, so I'll do it. That's a kind of more neutral attitude. Or you might think, this with, if by training my own mind, I can be really of service to other people and develop my innate qualities so that in this incredibly complicated and difficult world we live in, I can be of service to others. And in being of service to others, I can discover my own inner qualities. Because in fact, we all have uh, these inner qualities. Well, in fact, we have what we call the Buddha nature, the nature which is unlimited wisdom and unlimited compassion. But it's completely hidden. They say we're like a poor man who has an amazing treasure under the floor of his house, but doesn't know it's there. There's many examples like this that it's something that we don't see. They say uh, the nature of our mind is like our eyelashes. When we look, it's the nearest thing, but we don't see them at all. So, in fact, this, uh, this extraordinary these extraordinary qualities that we can have are hiding in plain sight. I think that's the expression. And so what we're trying to do is not to acquire something we don't have or to be somebody else, but just to uh, give some space to discover who we really are and what our potential really is. So in order to activate that, in this mind training approach, 
we have some very, very down-to-earth exercises. You know, you probably know that in Buddhist tradition you have some very sophisticated philosophy, you have some very esoteric, uh, subtle practices like Dzogchen or Mahamudra, you have a lots of things with visualizations and deities, and a lot of very, very exotic stuff. Now, this part is the really not exotic part, which uses our own everyday perceptions. And in that way, we learn to be able to deal with all the things that we encounter in a new way, and have a new relationship with ourselves and with others. And I think that this part of it is absolutely essential, whatever other kinds of practice you do. So the first thing we're going to do is just, let's think of somebody that we really care about. We really care about, but when we care about people, this is a tricky thing because we, when we care about people, there's a huge, often a huge amount of expectation in our love, you know, our love for our children or our parents or uh, our relationship with our closest friends. There's often a lot of turbulence there, a lot of expectation or disappointment or hoping they're going to be the person we want them to be and... Uh, you know how we want our children to be well and we of course we want them to be happy but the notion of their happiness that we have is uh, our projection of what their happiness might be and it's quite difficult sometimes to even see what their experience of happiness might be like so when we think of the people we love of course when we think of the people we hate we know we have some very weird emotions that can pop up, but with the people we really care about, it can be pretty strange too. So for this exercise, let's think of somebody we really love, really care about, and try to have the kind of love which has detachment built in, just wishing their happiness. That's a very curious uh, notion probably in the West, even in, even in um, you know Christianity and things, love is often very personal, and this is not really impersonal, but it's just loving and letting go at the same time, just wishing their happiness, really, without imposing a notion, and just feeling this tenderness that we all have. You know, when you, when you have your child, you automatically feel a huge tenderness, you know. Just a, you, you allow yourself to be touched. And this is the first step for developing these huge capacities of love and compassion, is just to have that tender feeling, tender feeling of love, a feeling of sadness if someone suffers or is hurt and a wish that they should be happy. This is um, something so simple, but something we need to get down to the simplicity of that basic feeling without too much of the scenario that we impose on it. So let's have a go and see how we can feel that tenderly to sort to somebody that you somebody that it's easy to care about. I think that's the thing. It could be your mother or your father, even if they're dead long ago, it doesn't make any difference. Could be your children, could be your friend, your partner. It's many possibilities, but just let's have that tender, tender, soft-hearted feeling and see if we can experience that in a very simple way.
And now we can think, I think if we think of anybody, we can see that they have happy moments and difficult moments and uh, difficult moments because of um, difficult situations. Also, difficult moments due to emotional difficulties or inner suffering, uh, which I think we all have, don't we? And um, so when we wish for people's happiness, we wish they should have happiness now. And what causes happiness as well? And when we think we really don't want them to suffer, we want them not to suffer from the difficulties they have now, but also what creates those difficulties. And I'm sure we've seen, not just in terms of individuals, but in, tens of, in terms of countries, all kinds of groups and uh, everything that the causes of suffering pop up again and again, that it goes around in a circle. And it's not as if there's a magic wand that's going to uh, make it all go away, because the reasons that the suffering is there are so present. If we continue to do this, we'll think a little bit more about what they are. But I, I think now, if we could just think of someone that we know who is in difficulty, that is suffering uh, in one way or another, and feel that tenderness, be sensitive to that suffering, and make the wish that they should be free from that suffering and that they should be happy. It occurs to me that um, the difficulties and sufferings in terms of health, circumstances, uh, relationships, uh, all kinds of things that we have gone through or are going through in our lives are a very precious tool for developing compassion, for developing uh, that feeling for what it must be like for others to suffer and to wish for their happiness, for wish for their freedom. I think if you don't have, if you're not in touch with your own suffering, uh, then you don't really have any notion of anything, you know. So a lot of people trying to be positive will kind of try to push down and not look at the difficulties that they have. Others will be completely obsessed by them. But I think um, our difficulties and our own fortune and happiness are really useful for us to relate to others and to develop this kind of altruistic mindset if we know how to use them properly. So we can just, um, we could even start by thinking of our own difficulty and suffering that we have and then think of others that have similar or different sufferings and difficulties and perhaps those who are in situations infinitely million times worse than ours and just have a f that feeling again the same feeling of tenderness and caring and not trying to push everything away and it's very important that this feeling of tenderness should be accompanied by a wish, an, a positive wish uh, for people's happiness. When, when we were, we, we did uh, some studies with some researchers in Germany where they were looking at um, the reactions of different types of individuals to when they saw, for instance, of course, in a slightly artificial thing, images of uh, suffering and terrible things, and they found that people who had been 
practicing uh, uh, kindness and compassion for a long time, when they saw some difficult situation, it would give them a sort of rush of tender loving kindness, which could be a positive thing, whereas other people couldn't bear to look. So I think we can see this as a tool to face things, face difficulties with a lot more courage. So let's just reflect on that for a few moments and uh, just try to think of that if you think of somebody you know who's in difficulty, which seems very hard to solve or, or you think just of the world, goodness me, I mean, it's endless, isn't it, at the moment, the terrible situations people are going through. And uh, it's very important that we should feel that tenderness instead of, you know, there's always the notion of anger, you get rid of the baddies and then everything will be fine. But actually, I don't think anything is ever fine, really, that these kind of human tendencies just pop up again and again, one way or another. It's just a sort of endless, you know. And so it's very important for us to have the stability of our kind, stable mindset in the middle of all this in order to, and that way we naturally transmit that to people around us. So let's just uh, reflect on that for a moment and see if we can develop this kind of compassionate feeling that is not just a gloomy and um, kind of afraid or, or uh, rejecting, or just, just accepting and making this wish for others' happiness. And now let's think let's think about happiness. Happiness is something that comes and goes, doesn't it? We have happy moments 
then when those happy moments are over, there's a sort of nostalgia for that happiness, which sometimes makes us feel not happy at all. Oh, it was so much nicer before, or something like this. It's a very elusive thing, isn't it? Of course, when we think of uh, enlightened t masters, teachers, like uh, I've known actually quite a few of those, and uh, they have this uh, stability of wisdom that is not disturbed by anything. At the same time, it's not like being in a happy bubble at all. It's not like the, the sort of thing uh, you might imagine of uh, 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 just uh, insulating yourself from everything else. Exactly the opposite, in fact. They have this incredible availability, in a way, to care. And so the kind of happiness we would like everybody to have, including ourselves, is I guess something like that. At the same time, I think we can just feel happy just when you see kids playing, or when you see, I think when you see people going shopping on a Saturday with their families and things like that, it's a really stupid thing, isn't it? But you can feel kind of, oh, they're, they're just happy to be together and isn't that nice, you know? And when you, when you see people doing amazing things and having success, you may think, well, it's not really very important uh, that they can, uh, 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 you know, all the things that you see in the Guinness Book of Records or something. I mean, what, you know? But, you know, they, they feel happy a bit, so why not feel happy that people are happy? And when you develop this attitude of training yourself to be happy when you see others being happy. It's wonderful. This is something I really recommend because very often when we see other people who have things that we don't have or talents that we don't have or more success than we have, we feel jealous, don't we? I mean, this happens to me. I don't know if it happens to you, but I wouldn't be sure that it does now and then. Not necessarily big time, but there's something kind of we would like to be the ones. And of course, our society in, encourages everybody, instead of cooperation, to be in competition with everybody. So let's just have a little thought of how great when other people uh, are happy in little ways or big ways and uh, just uh, we might think actually of a case where we know somebody who's kind of a bit more successful than us or or you know more in the limelight or better off financially or whatever else and we feel uncomfortable about that so just let's reflect reflect on that and see if we can develop an attitude of rejoicing of other people's happiness, big or small. And finally, let's just have a thought that there's so many millions and millions of people in the world, good people and bad people and people
people in uh, nice situations and people in many people in unbearable situations. And this is just talking about the humans, but if you talk, think about the animals and the way that they're treated and the incredible suffering they go through, it's very interesting if you see, um, for instance, domestic animals like, uh, you know, chickens or pigs or things like that, when they're given a, a situation where they can interact and be themselves. It's amazing how, like us, they have emotions and needs and they like some things and others and they're just treated like objects. So we, as humans, not only we trash the planet, but we create so much suffering around us. So let's make a wish that all beings on this planet and also on any other planets that they're maybe that we haven't discovered, should be happy and uh, should be free from all the negativity and negative emotions that create suffering. And finally, let's just have a feeling of tender-hearted love, kind heart. We could say love for ourselves, love for others, love for everybody. Just the sensation in the most simple way, without any particular notion or idea or thought involved. Just leaving it as it is. So that's the end. What we cover today, it wasn't perhaps what one would expect in terms of doing a lot of meditation, but we've covered important subjects, love, compassion, joy at others' happiness, and impartiality or evenness of uh, having this loving, altruistic thoughts without any barriers for everybody. Let's conclude by just wishing that this little 
session that we've been doing together, sharing together, should be a source of happiness for everybody that we meet and anybody we're in contact with, whether we have good relations with them or bad ones.